Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Royal Woman podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either. But in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Royal Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Naima Dorr. Naima is a first-generation farmer, activist, and educator committed to looking after Mother Earth and community building. She is the program director at the Somali American Farmers Association and owner of Naima's Farm, LLC, where she supports the next generation of Somali American farmers. Naima is passionate about organic farming and inspiring young people to become future farmers, specifically people from immigrant countries in Minnesota. I have been waiting a very long time to be able to sit down and share Naima's story with you. You are going to fall in love with Naima as much as I have over this past year. Before we get to Naima's interview, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's listener review comes from Shoop Dogs via Apple Podcast. This five-star rating and review is titled Inspiring and Thoughtful. I so enjoy listening to every episode. Each week brings a story of a woman in agriculture and the lessons they've learned along the way. We have so much that we can learn from one another, and the Rural Woman Podcast is just the vehicle for the journey. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. And my friend, if you haven't left a rating and review yet, I encourage you to do so. This helps other listeners connect with one another. I also have something exciting to share later in today's episode about connecting to one another. So be sure to tune in for that and learn more about the events coming up on December 17th on the Wisdom app. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Naima. Naima, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so excited to have you here on the show with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I have been fangirling over you for the longest time, and I am so excited to sit down and get to catch up with all of the things that you have been doing in a relatively short amount of time. So, Instead of me just fangirling over you, tell the listeners who you are <laughs> and how you got your start in agriculture. Oh, well, thank you so much for that kind introduction. And I feel the same way. Yeah, so farming is something that I just 
fell in love with and it just organically just found me and my family. Initially, I was just really interested in growing food for my first child and my family and uh, quickly realized growing microgreens and herbs inside our tiny apartment was just not a sustainable way of growing food. So we transitioned to a community garden and later on, a few years after, we enrolled in an incubator farm in 2016. And yeah, that's, that was the journey. That was the start of our farming. And like I said, you know, we just wanted to grow our food as much as we can in a clean space. And I think our second year when, it's when I realized, I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can continue growing food, not just for my family, but for the community and make it into something. That is so great. You got addicted to the green thumb in a big way. (laughs) I sure did. (laughs) And so did my family. Yeah. So you are a first generation farmer. So did you obviously didn't grow up in farming. So tell us about yourself and you know where you grew up and maybe some of your first memories of of food and agriculture. Yeah, I, I guess there's two parts. So I first want to say that I I grew up in so many different places in in the U.S. Starting when we first arrived from Somalia, we lived in Buffalo, New York, and then moved to Virginia and North Carolina. And I call home to Minnesota for the past 20 years now. And growing up in Somalia, we had a garden, you know, pretty much all of our neighbors, everyone that I think of had a garden and we would walk to the market every day and get, you know, our food. It was just like fresh, you know, (laughs) nothing like store-bought, you know, packaged processed food. I didn't grow up with that. And so when I came to America, it was just, you know, it was just a different world, you know, having (laughs) jam for the first time and a spread peanut butter. I was so addicted to that and like chips and like all this, you know, packaged food. It was just like foreign to me and it was just completely different from what I grew up eating. But, you know, as time goes, and like I said, you know, we moved around a lot. My parents were just working people, just, you know, survival. And like, they didn't really have a lot of time and a lot of say of what we were able to consume. And like, it was just, Whatever that meant was available to us is what we had to eat. So I think there was a disconnect in terms of my upbringing in Somalia and here. But, you know, when I had my first child, that's when I was like, okay, I got to do something about this because I really didn't want to feed processed food or like baby foods in, in a container. I just felt like that was just not organic. Like, <laughs> you know, I just... It didn't feel right to me, so I wanted to change that and kind of turn back in and just see how much I can grow here in this climate as much as I can. That is so, I just, my mind is blown of how, you know, you've gotten your start in agriculture in such a unique way. How old were you when you moved to the U.S.? I was eight years old, and, you know, it's just, like I said, you know, our small family farm. It's still, you know, something that we are putting a lot of time and energy and a lot of love into. It's truly something that we, it's beyond us right now. And, you know, I think the communities here in Minnesota, which is the largest 
Somali population in the U.S. is really finally seeing like this is a sector that community can look into and see if it could be a, a business opportunity, a way of living. You know, this is not only is it if it's a lifestyle for us, but it's also something that we're transitioning from our day job and hopefully, you know, a transition as a full-time farmer, myself and my husband and my two boys who are, you know, grew up in this life, in farming life. And it's just been a great experience for them too, because they get to experience the outdoors. You know, we see a lot of our kids not spending a lot of time outside and, you know, in their gadgets all the time. And so just to disconnect and watch my babies grow up in the outdoors and, learn the process of growing food and growing food in a clean and sustainable way is just the best thing I can offer them as a mother. For sure. And I myself didn't grow up in agriculture and knew very little about where my food came from. And I look at, you know, growing food through the eyes of my nephews or from the stories that women share with me about their children. And I just think like, what a gift to teach somebody how to grow their own food and watch food grow. I just think it, for me, it's really neat to see, but through the eyes of kids, it's even cooler to see. Yeah. I mean, for me and even my husband, like we don't know any farmers of both sides of our families, you know, and back home or here, like I, I talked to my mom and try to figure out who was a farmer. Like she can't even even say, oh, well, your grandmother was a farmer. So there's no connection. But for us to, by default, just all of a sudden find this career as something that we're committed to, it's just, it's a life changing. And it has its challenges too. I mean, it's such a isolating work to do. Sometimes it feels like you're just alone. And, but, you know, what offsets that is that you're in nature and you're just really absorbing just the natural being everything around you and that keeps me grounded and humble. And so there's always the pros and cons to this field, but I'm, I'm happy that I, I found farming. Yeah, for sure. So take us back to 2016 when you took the leap into agriculture and working for this farm. What were you growing and what were some of your responsibilities on the farm? Well, I wear so many hats. <laughs> Um, it is a small family operation. So when we started with the incubator, we're just growing vegetables and we still continue to grow vegetables and we are certified organic. So, but for the past couple of years, we are expanding into leafy greens that are native to East Africa or Africa. Particularly, I'm more focused on crops that are native to Somalia, my home country. And so... It's just been a great experience working with that and market it to the community and make sure that the community has access to food that they're familiar with. For sure. So something that I've read about you was a project that you started, and that was the Somali American Farmers Association. Tell me more about that and what drove you to start such a project. Yeah, so the Somali American Farmers Association is a nonprofit that I established in 2016. Going back to like 2016 when the community learned about, you know, me actually farming and my family farming outside of the Twin Cities in a rural area, 
I think there was a lot of excitement and a lot of curiosity and just the word got out, right? <laughs> and so I always wanted to give back and, and also provide service in terms of training services or just the introduction to agriculture in this great state of Minnesota to, to the community. So in 2020 is when I formed SAFA, the Somali American Farmers Association. And there's many goals for me to not only introduce agriculture to the community, the African community, but to make sure that the community has access to fresh produce that is uh, available and affordable. But there is a targeted project that we just wrapped up our first season in South Minneapolis. It's called the Horn Towers, which is a public housing and it's really um, elderly complex where a lot of them don't have access to fresh produce. So uh, I created an urban farm and, and, and it's so beautiful because the elder people come down from their unit to the farm and participate in the program, whether, you know, they're helping out with planting, weeding, harvesting, and then they go back to their unit with fresh produce and all available to them free. But that interaction and that time that they spend with me and others in the farm, it's just, it's been a great experience so far and we're continuing to, to provide fresh produce to that particular community there. But also the goal is to really expand in other areas that is populated with East African communities, which lacks green space and fresh produce. So that the nonprofit, it really does work around food insecurity and just really utilizing park spaces or spaces that the community come together and grow food. That is so, so great. I want to talk more about food insecurity in the area, I guess near the Horn Tower. So it's interesting to me because as, you know, a privileged person who grew up in a town and I had access to whatever food that I needed and what I wanted, it's hard to imagine that there are places in, you know, North America in 2021 or 2022 that don't have access to this type of food. So can you tell us more about the area in which this public housing is located and kind of the sense of the vast food insecurity that's there. Yeah, I mean, this is this particular area that we're talking about is we've seen with with the pandemic, and as well as you know where this is the center of near where George Ford was murdered. Okay, and it, it speaks a lot about what has been going on for the past two years, and even prior to that, because. I used to go to a farmer's market to sell my produce there, and I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. And at times, the weeks or any time that I participated in that farmer's market to sell my fresh produce, I didn't see a person of color <laughs> at all. Like, that's how, like, it was just, there's a disconnect. Um, and so I had a lot of aha moments during, you know, because I'm there, you know, just doing my thing, and then it just, didn't make any sense. I was like, why is that? You know, obviously with organic food being really expensive and knowing that the community cannot afford that higher price, but it was also transportation was another major issue because I did talk to the community. I was like, well, how come you guys are not coming out to the farmer's market? It's because of transportation being one of the barriers, one of many barriers. They just didn't have access to me. 
So my commitment was whatever that I was not able to sell, I would just make sure that it goes back to the community. So I would do, I would donate uh, my produce. Those were one of the many of issues. But honestly, you know, I'm still learning because there are just so many contributions to why that is. And also, you know, oftentimes, like, what happens is when a community like my community, and they're coming from, whether they're coming from, you know, directly from Somalia or elsewhere, they're always put in a place where the community resides. For in this case, in South Minneapolis or Minneapolis is where the population is higher than elsewhere. And so there's not a lot of green spaces in these urban settings. Uh, or what I also found was the community might not have the know-how to create, because we're very like communal people and we organize ourselves really well, but sometimes if language is a barrier, resources is a barrier, which is another contribution to why we don't see a lot of green spaces formed or like continuously provided to these communities is because the resources are not coming in in a timely manner to continue. So like our project, I mean, we're lucky to have the space. I'm familiar with how to grow the food and grow really great food, like quality, high quality food with the practices that I have in place, like most health. So our produce is just amazing. You know, like we grew like more than a hundred and I believe it's like 115 different varieties past season, although we had challenges with the climate and, you know, the drought and all of that, but still we were able to produce a lot of food for that particular community. And I feel like we're at a point where it's 2020, like there's, there's no excuse. Everyone should have access to fresh produce. That's my argument. It's like, that's just ridiculous. I don't want to hear it from local politicians. I don't want to hear from, you know, all these leaders that are in the day making these decisions for these communities. It's like, no, I don't want to hear it. Like, everyone should have access to fresh produce, whether it's an urban setting, because the rural setting is, is hit hard, too. You know, like, there's a lot of people that don't have access to the fresh produce. It just breaks my heart. Like, that should be a priority. So, yeah, just tell me where to be quiet, because I can go. You know I mean? Girl, you keep going on as long as you want, because <laughs> I am right here with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so frustrating and it just makes me upset that you know this is just basic human rights like people should have access to fresh food you give people choice they do better you know but if you're limited it's really hard you know like we see a lot of corner stores that are filled with processed food and like high sugar like you know growing up i mean we didn't have a lot but my parents always did their best you know and when you know better you do better i feel like a lot of these communities, especially like, you know, with the varieties that I'm growing that are native to, to Africa or East Africa, there's a lot of excitement. And, you know, the elders are really curious, like, oh, you know, they're asking me for next season. They're like, is it possible I can grow this and that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's Minnesota, but we can try, you know, <laughs> I guarantee, you know, and it's just to see their reaction and their excitement and, you know, we grew peanuts, we grew sorghum, millet, and, you know, of course, it, it was a small amount, but, like, they're thinking about growing an acreage, right, <laughs> out in my farm, which is two and a half hours. My family farm is two and a half hours from the Twin Cities, and I'm hoping to expand and bring out the community out there and introduce them to a rural setting because 
there is a, in the state of Minnesota, there's only 39 black farmers listed. And I don't even think that's the accurate number because I count how many black farmers I interact with. I go to a lot of functions and I'm like, wait, there's only one, two, two here. And it's always two or three of the same people, you know? And so there's an urgency, you know, we need more, we need more young farmers. Uh, we need more BIPOC farmers. And that's something that I'm passionate about. I'm always excited to work with the youth. And that's also another collaboration that I do with a lot of organizations in the different cities is talk to the youth and get them excited and grow on food or at least learn where their food comes from. For sure. Well, if you are inspiring the youth to do what it is that you're doing, then I think the future is going to be okay. There's going to be food to eat and there's going to be fresh produce for people in your community because you are obviously an inspiring woman and what you've accomplished in relatively a short amount of time is absolutely amazing. And the fact that you were able to grow a hundred and some odd varieties of different foods that, you know, obviously aren't available at the corner store for people to share with each other and have meals with one another of foods that remind them of their childhood. Like, what an absolute amazing accomplishment that is. Yes. And I'm really excited for the community. I think we're just going to continue doing what we've been doing. You know, we're preserving our culture. We're preserving this amazing intergenerational knowledge that's being transferred from our elders to the youth. And that's something that I'm committed to because I'm really, really invested in preserving our culture, which I feel like with the seed saving, some of the things that I'm really pushing is seed saving, especially seeds that are native to my country because that's something that I've noticed a lot of people are not doing back home. And I feel like if that is not protected and it's not preserved, our culture dies. So again, there's an urgency, you know, for me to take action and understand that like if that is not preserved, then, you know, there goes our culture, there goes part of me, you know, part of the next generation. Yeah, for sure. Where are you getting the seeds now currently that you are using to grow the produce or you did this past growing season? Did they come from Somalia or were you able to get them here in the U.S.? Yeah, I was able to get it from the USDA seed bank. So from majority of the seeds, and I tried my best <laughs> to uh, seed save from what I've grown already. And the other thing is really working with farmers back home and see if I can, you know, obviously I have to go through some permit, just complying with the regulations of importing seeds. But that's another area of interest where I want to bring seeds from my native, my country. Yeah, for sure. So for the listeners, I was able to go and see photos and views of the gardens at Horn Towers. But describe to me the area in which you were growing, because like it blows my mind that you were able to produce so much food in such a little space. Yeah, that's the beauty. You know, sometimes you see a space and you're like, oh, this is not... You know, I, I bet I can grow a few things here, but <laughs> literally transformed the garden into an urban farm. And again, I want to remind everyone that this is an area where 
when George Floyd was murdered, it turned into like a, I was in 1990, you know, 91, 92 in Somalia in a war zone. I mean, literally it was completely something that I can't even put into words. It was really devastating to see the disaster and like the community hurting and, and this particular area, again, Horn Towers is majority elders, single unit, you know, many of them probably went through the war similar to what I have experienced as a child, just seeing the smokes and the fire and just, just chaos, right? And so doing all of that and all in between, you know, I was still providing, I wasn't growing at that site during that time, but I was in preparation to grow, but it just didn't work out because I couldn't be there all the time with all of that. But I was growing somewhere else. So I would drop fresh produce to the community, a way to nurture them and distract them from all the chaos around them. So, but this past season, you know, we literally like took the garden and transformed into an urban farm, just considered an urban farm now, you know. And yeah, I mean, it's such a beautiful space because sometimes I remember this past season, like I was, I'm there and I just doesn't even feel like I'm in the city. Sometimes I forget, like there's like a fire station and there's just all kind of moving, you know, moto, like transportation, all of that and all that chaos. I just, I get lost into the space because it's just so peaceful, so beautiful. Just watching, you know, the, the animals, the, you know, the birds and the squirrels. And it was just beautiful to see, you know, the elders congregate in the evening, having conversation and listening to their stories. So much happening in that space is just, it's just incredible. Well, and I'm sure it's just a reprieve for the community to be able to kind of escape and be in that serene place while there was absolute chaos going on where there had been in that community and just a nice place to kind of escape and for a little bit and relax and know that they were safe and they were growing food to eat for themselves and the rest of their community. So I will be sure to link some photos and videos in the show notes so people listening can go and take a look in what you are talking about because it is an absolutely beautiful space and you you and your team did an amazing job. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, I have been asked to host a special live chat on a new app called Wisdom. Wisdom is a social podcasting platform where we can all chat together. Join me on Friday, December 17th, 2021 at 10 a.m. Mountain for a chance to chat with me and other members of the Rural Woman Podcast community. Here's how to join. Head to your app store and download the Wisdom app. That's W-I-S-D-O-M. Find my profile at Wild Rose Farmer and join the chat at 10 a.m. Mountain on December 17th. That's it. It's that easy. You can connect with me live as well as other members of the Rural Woman Podcast community. To find out more, head to the link in today's show notes. We'll see you on December 17th. 
So what was the feedback like from the residents in Horn Tower from, let's say, the beginning of this idea to after your first growing season? Oh, where do I sign up? <laughs> the, list, <laughs> the list is just growing. I mean, word of mouth, it just travels. And I think that, again, it's like they saw their neighbor. They're actually talking to their neighbor that they haven't, like, attempted to talk to, you know. And it's just like they formed a friendship, a sense of community. They share those buildings together, and many of them don't interact. But now, you know, they have a space, a gathering space where they can have conversations, share stories, exchange, you know, whatever resources, you know. And it's just so beautiful because now they want to be part and the numbers are just, it, it just the list is just ridiculous right now. Like, I don't know if I have space for everyone. And that's the beauty. So what I do is they participate in a program. So whoever is able to grow. There's some raised beds for those that are that have issues with knees or can't do a you know a, the the full blown farming. But yeah, it's just so beautiful to see how many of them want to be part of that space and want to grow their own food and be part of that process. That is just so great. And what a great problem to have so many willing volunteers that want to come and grow food. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a space where it's not just me coming in telling them what to do. It's they tell me what to do most of the time <laughs> and how to do it. And so we are exchanging a lot of knowledge. And it's just something that, you know, many of them are interested in continuing to be part of. Right. That is so great. So I want to talk more about your home farm now. And this is a newer farm for you, correct? When did you move on to this land? Yeah, so I physically don't live in the house yet, but we've been the past several months been building our infrastructure, such as the high tunnels. And, you know, there's a backstory to how I got to this new space. I've been trying to buy a land, not once but twice, and both purchase agreements failed. The first time I seen, to me, it felt like, and I was working with the USDA. There's a program called SSA, the Farm Service Agency, where I was attempting to get a loan to buy a farmland close to the city. And unfortunately, with that first attempt, because of my application just taking forever, <laughs> I was not able to purchase that land. So... Learning from that experience, I moved on to the next one, and that one was completely a different area, but I just fell in love with that space, and it's like, okay, let me go for this one and see, you know, what I'm able to do, and so, you know, that didn't work out, and that one was recent. That was, was supposed to close that property July 1st of this year, and unfortunately, the appraisal came back super low, and because of me working with government agency, they were not able to assist with the difference the seller was asking for. So I have to pretty much walk away from that. But yeah, you know, during that time and going back and forth with that particular seller, it's now what I call my new home and new space. I was having conversation with the owners, my husband and I, and it's just, it's been amazing because I wasn't even thinking about this other area of the state. 
which is west, and it's like two and a half hours, which is away from where we established our market and our community. So we were taking a big risk in terms of our market and just commuting to the city. But anyway, we had some time with them and really got to know each other and um, decided not to go with purchase because one, they didn't want to sell it too. They're not ready to sell it. And the other reason is we were just trying to figure out if it makes sense for us to invest in that area because again, it's just too far out. But we're really excited for this new opportunity because we're hoping that we're going to build wealth and hopefully transition to full-time farmers because again, we've been like struggling for the past several years, uh, just maintaining our small operations, but we're now expanding. Like I said, we already got our high tunnels. We built three high tunnels, getting our greenhouse set up in the spring, moving into our house out there uh, February. I don't know why <laughs> the coldest month of the year is when we move into a new home and our new space. But yeah, it's, it's a beautiful area, you know, by the lake and it offers so much. There's a lot of same philosophy in terms of what the owner believes in and sustainability and how we've been operating as a small scale farmers. I never sprayed <laughs> during my farming years and we're just, you know, we're doing our part to make sure that we're not contributing any harm to the land and we're also providing fresh produce that is local and available hopefully you know throughout the year i don't know we'll see i mean we, we're really adamant about growing food next winter and continuing that as well you know just trying to make sure that we have everything we need and it's just been great we've been getting a lot of support from individual donors and it's just so beautiful the investment that they have put in and we're really excited to share our upcoming projects and that space to the community. That is so, so neat. And I love that you are making these plans for long term and building up the success and building up the wealth that you'll need in the future. Because I can only imagine what it's like to face land prices anywhere really in North America and being a first generation farmer and becoming a farmer. There are so many barriers for people who are looking to grow food, which to me, I always think, well, you know, being a farmer really isn't that glamorous of a job. And for anybody who wants to do that, I feel like there should be lots of people around <laughs> letting people into that yeah. because, you know, everybody's trying to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. And while everyone is getting out of it, it's like, how do we fill in the gap? Because there is a huge gap and it's just growing, growing. It scares me because you know, I'm a foodie. I like good food. I like clean food, you know, and I think a lot of folks agree with me on that. So how do we support the next generation of farmers, emerging farmers, BIPOC farmers like myself that still I don't have that land ownership, but I'm hopeful it will happen one day. But, you know, <laughs> I'm almost 39 and it's like finally trying to build something that I can say, oh, you know, one day it will transfer to my kids. And that's the reason why I do what I do. And it's just for them and for our community and 
and for our planet. And I'm only one person, I am. But I feel like if I continue what I'm doing and it turns out to be a successful model, it will definitely get more immigrant farmers in this state of Minnesota, which that's like my goal end of the day is to get more young emerging immigrant farmers. Right. Yeah. This might be really cheesy to say, but you're talking about, you know, giving your children something or being able to pass something down to them. And I get the physical being able to give them something like land or equipment or things like that. But Naima, I think you are giving your boys, you know, such a beautiful gift and you are showing them what perseverance is and you're teaching them a skill that, you know, most of the population doesn't have of how to grow food and how to be you know, self-reliant in a sense that if something happened that they know how to take care of themselves. So in my mind, I think those things are better than the physical, but I understand what you mean. <laughs> yes, both. I mean, that's such a important and critical lesson that I can transfer to my children. So I, I agree with you. <laughs> Good. Good. So one of the questions that I like to ask people, and it it may stump you, but it probably won't because I think I think you'll have an answer. But there are so many buzzwords in the agriculture industry and in the marketing industry for agriculture. But uh, we talk about sustainability a lot. What does sustainability mean to you? Yeah, that's the word that I was afraid that you would ask because <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out this buzzword. I mean, we moved from regenerative to now sustainability. And I don't know if I missed any other terms in between, but I just feel like sustainability in my own eyes and my upbringing, my culture and my community is really, you know, one that we're able to transfer those farming techniques that knowledge that transfers from to the next generation of farmers, from our elders to our youth, that knowledge transfer is so critical for us. The other piece is really like, this is something that I do with a lot of people that when they learn that I'm a farmer, like family farms, they're like, oh my God, that's such a cool, like, can I come? Like, all right, just, all right, come. <laughs> and spend a day with me and really understand why we do what we do and how we do it so that you're able to contribute, right? So like we do education, really teaching our consumers, you know, I'm selling to you. This is what it takes me, like literally from the seeds where I get my seeds from to the, you know, when I put it to the ground, the outcome of that. And everything else in between. So, like, really helping them understand the process of that. I think people appreciate that because they they learned. They know what to do. They know how to continue to support. And that's why with my CSA, you know, our CSA has grown over the years. We have a really committed group of people that understand what we do. And um, we're hoping to expand that and really educate the, the population about how we grow and our techniques. I hope that's the answer that you're looking for because honest to God, <laughs> it's something that I truly struggle with because, you know, it's really about the soil and what we do with that. You know, like I said, you know, 
I've learned so many different techniques and I self-educate. Like I do a lot of YouTubing, a lot. <laughs> and I'm just like seeing all these things and I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. That doesn't make sense. But then I always reference back to the elders and like say, well, how did you do it back home? And what is this about? And also, you know, knowing that obviously it's two different climates, different crops, but at the end of the day, it's what I'm doing and how I practice you know, way of growing food. You said it beautifully. And it's to me, you know, there could be a technical definition, but I honestly believe that it means something different to everyone. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you're asking, what is sustainability mean to in terms of how, how you grow food and what you're doing? It's, I've seen so many versions and so many answers. So in my head, this is how I interpret that word itself and but I hope that was good enough. It was great. You did great. <laughs> well, and something that you said earlier in the interview and, you know, a phrase that I, I choose to live by of when you know better, you do better. So we know things now that maybe we didn't know 20 years ago. And what are the different ways now that we can do better in agriculture and, you know, really, frankly, as a society to do better for the world that we live in and for the people that we live with. So Naima, what is the future plans for you and your farm and the Somali American Farmers Association? I'll start off with the Somali American Farmers Association. You know, it's really exciting and beautiful to see what we're able to do, specifically at that targeted area of Barton Towers. And we will continue that work in South Minneapolis and hopefully create a similar program throughout the Twin Cities in collaboration with uh, local organizations. And with my family farm, I'm really excited about that because we put in so much work. <laughs> We've been patient for years. You know, we had our ups and downs, a lot of barriers in terms of accessing land and resource and capital. But it's going to be an amazing space, not just for my community, but the community of Alexandria is where my family farm is located. Um, and we're really excited just to get to work and grow, you know, not just as growers, uh, you know, that specialize in vegetables. But our goal is really to expand, not just growers, but include um, value. Uh, there is a commercial kitchen, and we're hoping to utilize that space and create other products that will be available to the customers, our loyal customers. That is so great. Ugh. It has been so wonderful chatting with you. I have a couple final questions for you, but... Is there anything that you wanted to share with myself and the audience that I haven't asked you? Oh, I appreciate small scale family farm operations. Please support, yes. <laughs> support, support uh, your local farmers. You know, that's so important. And that's the only message that I, I really want to offer. And I think that is just something that is needed and very, very important. It is so needed. That leads me perfectly into my second last question for you. How can we, the community of Rural Woman Podcast, how can we support you and what you're doing? Yeah, you can visit our Somali American new website. <laughs> We're still working on adding more information in terms of our work and 
But yeah, I mean, I just feel like really engaging uh, with that website and following the work that we're doing and supporting us. Um, and yeah, just follow me on Twitter for now because <laughs> I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm banned from Instagram. <laughs> so working on that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to fix that for you. We're going to figure that out. <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea, but uh, it feels like I was hacked, so I don't know uh, what's going on with that. But yeah, my Twitter, which is uh, Naima's Farm, and that's our family farm business. And yeah, we have a lot of amazing ideas and projects that are just, I can't wait to share with the world. That's awesome. And I will link all of those in the show notes for the folks listening who would like to connect with you. So. My last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Oh, um, there's so many, but end of the day, like nighttime when I'm in bed and I'm exhausted and knowing that the next day I am eating my own fruit of labor, like, oh, I love when I make breakfast and mainly a lot of greens, greens that, you know, we grew as a family and watching my children eat greens. It just brings me so much joy. I love when the community comes out and volunteers and learn what we do. And that gives me a lot of joy and motivates me to continue the work that I do. That is so great. And you have so many people that I know want to thank you for sharing your story with us today because you have done amazing things. And I've said this, I think, three times now, but in such a short amount of time, how much work you have done and how much you have accomplished for your family and for your community. And I wish you nothing but the best and continuing to grow your programming. And, you know, hopefully, you know, people hear this and want to pick this up. So be sure to connect with Naima. And we are here to support you and we are here to back you. So thank you so much again for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at Wild Rose Farmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. 
Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.